Come in Jesus' name and thank you for coming. We're glad to see you here today. Um, Pastor Bank is not available. I'm going to try to step in. And so, um, bear with me. I will not be like him. I am unique. He is unique. You are unique. Amen? Hallelujah. So, we, we're going to try to continue um, in the series. And we'll be looking at the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. I believe this chapter 11. And so, we, um, we're going to continue. Just run through the, the pages, of um, the verses of the scripture. And then we'll have some conversation around that. Um, do we have any question as touching the past series or the past chapters or chapter 11 in particular? Do we have any questions or concerns? Um, we can take care of those before we jump into chapter 12. Any questions, concerns, or comment? Who can tell us what the takeaway was in chapter 11? What was your personal takeaway? If you want to share that with us, what you personally could say is the epiphany or something that you truly um, gained in chapter 11. Anyone? Any volunteer? A successful Christian life it has to be by faith, a work of faith. To be able to live a successful Christian life, it has to be by faith. Hebrews chapter 11 has often been named the book of faith. Okay, because it's talking about faith. By faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Enoch did this. By faith, this and that. So, you see, more often than not, most Christians, they refer to the book of uh, Hebrews, chapter 11, as the chapter of faith. It is all talking about how we can do absolutely nothing without having faith. Faith is the evidence of things not seen and is the conviction, um, the, the conviction of the evidence of things not, th not seen and the conviction of uh, things to hope for. Amen? In Hebrew, uh, sorry, in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, For by faith, for by grace are ye saved. True faith. True faith. Um, anything that has to do with God, it will normally... Maybe 99% of the time not makes sense to the natural thinking human being. Okay? Um, the psychologists, um, the professors at our schools, uh, they depend on experiments. Things that you can experiment and you can say this is the final conclusion. Things that are testable. Things that are provable. Faith in God defies all of those. If you're going to walk with God, you're going to have to ride on faith. Okay? And that is the bottom line in chapter 11. It has to be by faith. You can only believe in God by faith. It's not going to make sense. Um, 
literally. Amen? So faith is the core of chapter 11. So we want to uh, move to chapter 12, and we're going to start reading from verse number 1, the book of Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll begin reading from verse number 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are, were compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin, and ye have Forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chastereth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, wherefore, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have high fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and life? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. And it goes on and on and, and like that. Now, let me just begin by saying, we'll continue from there. Um, I think we should read. Okay, so let me let me begin by saying, before you we have the the proper understanding of these scriptures, beginning from verse number one, you have to cast your mind back to chapter eleven. Because towards the end of chapter eleven, we were told so many things that the men of old accomplished through faith. We were told how they conquered how women have their dead raised. We were told all kinds of wonderful things that happened through faith in chapter 11. But we need to remember that was not all the story in chapter 11 because he began to say in chapter 12, whereof, seeing we are also, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, who are the witnesses? Those patriarchs that were mentioned in chapter 11. And um, let's just jump to chapter 11 quick and let's see. Um, 
Let's see the uh, letter part of chapter 11 to try to point your attention to something because the discussion in chapter 12 will make sense um, once we see this mixture, I should say, in chapter 11. So let's see chapter 11. I think we can just jump right into... So, if you read and you begin to say from chapter 5, uh, 35, chapter number 35, Hebrews eleven thirty-five, women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured. Now, prior to this time, everything you were hearing that was accomplished through faith were good stuff. Okay? They were good stuff. So, but God is trying to show us that your faith in Christ does not necessarily immune you, okay, from facing trials and tribulations. So he was trying to paint for us um, a picture of the mixture of the good and the bad. But this man stood their ground in spite of the fact that, like you were saying today's modern word, you win some, you lose some. In God, you win always, Okay? You win always in God. So, but the only thing God was trying to teach us here is to show us from verse 35. He said, women receive their dead, their dead raised to life again. That's a wonderful thing. But look at the next sentence. And others were tortured. They have faith. These are the same men of faith. Okay. Some were receiving wonderful things, and the same set of people that were receiving wonderful things through their faith also faced tribulations. They faced persecutions. They faced challenges. They faced difficult moments. Because he is, is about to admonish us in chapter 12. He's about to encourage us. He's about to tell us that in like manner, we will face persecution. We will face challenges. We will face difficult moments. We will face, sometimes you feel like, have I lost my faith? Have I lost God because of the tribulations or the trials you're going through? So that's why he's referring us to this cloud of witnesses. And he was mentioning to us all the beautiful things they accomplished through their faith in Christ Jesus. But he will not fail to mention to us, they also face tribulations. They face difficult moments. And that's what he's trying uh, to reveal to, to us, beginning from that um, verse number 35. And I just want to go through some few of those so that we jump back to uh, chapter 12. Verse, uh, verse 36, Hebrew, Hebrews eleven thirty-six. And others had trial of cruel mockings, scourging, yea, moreover, of bones and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sown asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. And he began to mention all those things that they also went through, this, this cloud of witnesses. So what Jesus is trying to teach us here is to ensure that we are not just carried away 
with all those wonderful things that these men of old were able to accomplish, but we are quickly, um, we're also acquainted with all the challenges they faced, which is what is real today, because as we progress, you're going to see that when we go through trials and tribulations, our faith is being challenged. We're being challenged, and we begin to ask questions sometimes. Amen? So, but in, let's go back to chapter 12 now. I want us to have that background. And so as we begin to look at chapter 12, you begin to see what Jesus was trying to do here. So having said that we're surrounded with, with, with the cloud of witnesses, those people that did excellent stuff and also faced trials and tribulations in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning verse 2, it now says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, having shown us all the patriarchs, all the men of old, he is now going to show us the real example. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And he was trying to show us what Jesus went through so as to encourage us who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, chapter 12 of the book of Hebrew is a, is, is, is a, is a chapter that every Christian um, should be very, very close with. Because whether you like it or not, you're going to face some challenges. Okay? As long as you are in this side of eternity, you're going to face some challenges. You're going to face some trials. You're going to face some difficult moment. Okay? At your job, in your family, okay? Um, at the church. And so, Jesus is being presented to us as our example here. He said, consider him Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. How he endured the hostilities of sinners against him. How he was able to stand and see accomplish the task that was set before him. In spite of all the troubles and all the challenges that he faced. Amen? So, let's proceed and see um, what is he's is going to tell us here. So at the end of the day, the Bible says, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. Now, if there's anything that would be takeaway for you today, like I was asking what was your takeaway last week, it would be the fact that it does not matter what you're going to go through as a Christian. If you will focus on Jesus, and if you will follow his example, you are going to come, up, I mean, come out on the other side, shining and glorifying God. In spite of everything he went through, he came down from the cross, and heaven was rejoicing. Why? Because he paid the price for the sin of the world, and now we are born again. If he backed out 
if he did not complete the task, I don't know where you will be today. I don't know where I will be today. But because he did not check out, he endured. Today we have salvation to mankind. Amen? Glory be to Jesus. And so the same admonition is what God is trying to give us now, telling us that we should look at him as our example. But let's move further because of time. Now he began to tell us how that Jesus endured hostility against sinners. And he begins to explain to us how we will face such um, contradiction as well. Now, the sin he's mentioning here could either be the sin you commit, or the sin I commit, or the sin someone else commit. Okay? Um, because for some reasons, good people do suffer bad stuff, even when it was not their fault. Okay? Um, I guarantee you the uh, Malaysian airline that went down, there will definitely be Christians in that aircraft. And they did absolutely nothing wrong. Okay? But they lost their life because of the sins of some other jo jokers who just delight in killing. They just delight in doing evil. Okay? And that is the kind of thing God is trying to teach us here. Because as Christians, our race does not end here on earth. So, if a Christian were to be in that aircraft, okay, that would not be an issue with God because they are already Christians. Okay? The main issue for God would be the non-Christians in that aircraft. Because they're going to be lost forever. They will be heading straight to hell. But the Christians in that aircraft will be joining Jesus. So when we're going through stuff, Jesus wants us to know that he has gone through it and he wants us to focus on him. Amen? So if we are the perpetrator of the sin, then Jesus is also explaining to us here that God will not overlook it. Okay? When we mess up, God will forgive us. When we repent, he will not overlook it. Why? He wants to train us. Okay? He wants to train us. He will definitely ensure that we are chastened. We are disciplined. That is the modern day word for chastisement. God will ensure that we are disciplined where we mess up. He does that. And so every Christian must understand that. Don't think that you get a pass all the time. You will not. But he will forgive. He will forgive. Doesn't matter how many times you sin. When you repent, he will forgive. Okay? Because you cannot out-sin the grace of God. The Bible says where sins abounds, grace abounds more. You cannot out-sin the grace of God. It's impossible. Okay? It does not matter how many times you sin, he will forgive you. But he will chastise you. He will discipline you just to help you to understand the culture of heaven where you are heading. That's why he does that. 
And that's what he was mentioning here, telling us that there is no way you will love a child that you not chastise that child when that, when that child misbehaves. If your child does something bad and you're giving him or her a pass all the time, you're not helping that child. Because it is your responsibility to discipline your child. To help that child understand that, okay, what you've done is wrong, child. And then try to channel them towards the way they should go. Amen? And so God says that he will do the same with us. He will always chastise us when we mess up. But guarantee that will not check you out of heaven or out of his sight or out of his love. No. He does that because... He loved us. Amen. Okay. Let's look and let's move forward. Um, so let's jump to um, 12 12, Hebrews 12 12. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths of your feet. That which is lame be turned, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. So this is an encouragement for everyone. If you're struggling with anything, if you're struggling with sin, you know, you're struggling with some, some difficulties or you're struggling with some habits, God is saying, Okay, as a father, I'm going to chastise you uh, because I don't want you to continue that way. I don't want you to continue to do what you're doing that is wrong. Um, and it's encouraging us as opposed to giving up, as opposed to say, I just can't do this. Okay, I cannot handle this anymore. As opposed to giving up, God is saying we should hold on to him and look at Jesus as the author and the finisher of our faith and summon up courage and suck it up, like they would say. Okay? You know, and press on. That's the encouragement he's saying here. He's giving us here. But let's move forward because the next one is very critical. Now, the next challenge, he says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defied. Follow peace with all men. And now why is this verse coming after the admonition of chastisement and after the admonition that we can mess up as Christians, we can do stuff that God, you know, will not be happy with? A lot of times, you just realize that some Christians, brothers, sisters that are sweet, may suddenly become bitter. Just because they were going through a lot of trials and lots of tr troubles. Their personality may change they're, they're, they're just because of their circumstances, because of the, the bad stuff or all the, all the stuff you know, that they're going through. And they take it out on others. Okay? When you are going through troubles, you are going through challenges, there is a way it rubs on others. 
okay? Because you are, you are not in your right senses, you are not in your right mind, frame, frame of mind, you become somehow bitter. God is giving us an injunction here that we should follow peace with all men. Okay, so um, all men means all men. When God says all, it means all. Okay, so the question to me, I mean to you is, um, in that universal set, all, does it include those at your job that you don't talk to or that you just don't get along with? Does it include those in your family that you don't get along with, that you don't talk to, that you are always at loggerheads? It says all men. Amen. This is practical. This is, this is, these are the things we deal with on a daily basis. And if we don't resolve them, what is going to happen is we will not be effective, okay, in serving him. These things create a lot of, um, it poisons our relationship with the Lord, okay? Follow peace with all men and holiness. The Bible says, without it, no one can see the Lord. It is impossible to be a Christian if you are not going to be a peacemaker. That's what God is saying. You may say you are born again. Now, these are your litmus test. I may say I'm born again. I may say I know the Lord. If I'm not a peaceful man, if I'm not a man that lost peace, it is impossible for me to see the Lord. It is impossible for me to be born again. That's what he's saying. I cannot be born again even if I desire to. Okay? So we need to be able to articulate our salvation through the lens of Jesus. Know what man says. Okay? And know what you think. You need to be able to pass through the lens of Jesus in order for you to validate. And does that mean if you think right this moment that you are not a man of peace or a woman of peace, you are condemned? No. No. That's why you're here. Because he wanted to point it out to you that you need to make amend. You need to do something about it. So if there's anyone that you think you cannot be at peace with, you are removing that individual from all that Jesus said here. He said, all men. You cannot remove anyone from that universal set. You have to strive to make peace, to be at peace. You have to try everything humanly possible to be at peace. Amen? If you have done everything you can, I guarantee you, peace will reign. Most of the times we say, well, what if that guy is so difficult? What if they don't want to be at peace? What if, okay, just leave those. God who says, follow peace, knows all those. Okay? Why are you asking those questions? You do what he asks you to do and wait for the result. Do what he asks you to do and wait for the result. Don't worry yourself about the unknown. Don't worry yourself about the other guy. He says, Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no one shall see the Lord. So all I do 
is to do according to what he has said. Okay? And I let him be the judge. And I guarantee you, because the Bible says, when a man's way pleases the Lord, he makes even his enemy to be at peace with him. So while you are sitting down and thinking that, well, I've been trying, you know, I want to make up, I want to do this, but he's not, he's not meeting me um, down the road or in the middle or blah, blah, blah. God says, when a man's way pleases the Lord, he will make even his enemy to be at peace with him. So what excuse will I have if God already established that? So when he's saying, follow peace, with all men, because without it, there is no way you can see me. It's because he had already finished the work. Okay, that man or that woman that seems to be your enemy or that seems to be, you know, not like you, God already perfected everything that will make peace to work between the two of you. He's only waiting for your obedience. He's only waiting for my obedience. Once I made up my mind and I'm saying, I'm going to reconcile with this person, I'm going to go to this person and say, come on. I don't want it to be like this between us. Okay, let's make up. God will go ahead and finish it before you get there. Just that step of faith you are taking out, God is seeing that you are taking the step of obedience and he has gone ahead to ensure that your enemy is at peace with you. Amen? And if you will do that, for your enemy, I guarantee he will do it for your family members. He will do it for your co-workers. He will ensure they are at peace with you. Because you have chosen to follow peace with all men. Amen? Amen? He said, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. And this is, this is the key. Okay? When I'm, when I'm not at peace with someone, when I'm, um, if I'm not seeing grudges against someone, okay, it's, it's, it's as if I'm drinking poison and I'm expecting the other person to die. That's what it means. I am drinking poison and I'm expecting the other person to die. Because what we do when we do that is... We create the root of bitterness in ourselves. And as a result of that, the peace of God checks, checks out of us. Because when there is root of bitterness in us, we cannot have God's peace. The peace of God and the root of bitterness cannot dwell together in the same vessel. So when I am following peace with men and I'm striving to follow peace, to be your friend, to do everything so that you like me, you know, so that we are in good terms, I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for me. Okay? And the moment our perspective changes, you know, once we see it from that angle, our lives will change. Our relationships will change. Because all of a sudden now, when you're approaching that, your sister or that, your brother, your wife, your husband, you know, your ex, whatever it may be, you are approaching that individual with a different perspective. You are going to make peace with that individual, not because of her or because of him, but because of you. Because you know that what God has said is you must follow peace and you must not allow the root of bitterness to be in you. 
That's what Jesus did. That's what he did. Even to the cross, when he was being crucified, he was still praying for those that were crucifying him. That's why he said, you have not strived against sin to the point of blood. He did it. Jesus did it to the point of blood. Shedding his own blood. He was still trying to make peace with every man. Even at the point when they were, they were killing him. Amen? So, it is not an option for a Christian, okay, to nurse grudges. It is, it is just, it is a, it is a no-go area for us to not be at peace with anyone, okay? I don't care who that person is. If you read Psalm 119, one of my favorite scriptures is in verse, one, uh, verse uh, 165. Psalm 119, verse 165. It says, Great peace have they that love thy law, because nothing shall offend them. It is, <laughs> I mean, does that make sense? That it is possible for a man to live and nothing will offend him. God says it is possible. It's a great peace have they that love thy law, for nothing shall offend them. All you need is to ask God to take you there. Don't say it is impossible. When God says it, it is done. All the power of heaven is on that scripture. And if you choose to make it your lifestyle, and you say, Lord, if you said this, then it's going to be so in my life. I want to ensure that Nothing offends me. It will happen. God will make it happen. You will live in this part of eternity where everywhere you go, there is, I mean, there is literally offenses chasing you. At work, someone will be offended the way you smile. Someone will be offended the way you talk. Someone will not like the way you, I mean, they just, it's just all over. And God is saying it is possible for you not to be offended in spite of all that. Why? Because you love his laws. So that's one prayer I think you will pray tonight. That's one prayer I prayed years ago. And I, I, I can guarantee you God, God will answer it instantly. You will live and nothing will offend you. There is nothing your wife will do that will offend you. There's nothing your husband will do that will offend you. There's nothing your brother, your sibling, your children will do that will get to you. Because God will put you in that position and give you such a large heart that can accommodate all the offenses in the entire world put together. Amen? If you desire that, I would like for you to pray for that tonight while we round up. Amen? Follow peace with all men because without it, no one can see the Lord. And he went on, and I'm going to jump, and we go to the last part, I think. So in verse 23... Let's, no, verse 22. Let's go to verse 22. Hebrews 12, 22. 
But ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. So this is where you are. This is what you come into when you become born again. Okay? This is who you are. That's what God is saying. This is who we are. We are not trying to be anything other than who we are. We have come to Jesus. And he's saying to us that Jesus' blood speaketh better things than the blood of Abel. What is he saying? The blood of Abel when he was murdered by Cain was crying for vengeance. The blood of Jesus when it was shed was crying for salvation. And that is the epiphany in this scripture. He said, the blood of Jesus speaketh better things than the blood of Abel. No, it means that if I have come to Jesus and I'm in Jesus, when I'm offended, I don't cry for vengeance. I cry for salvation. As opposed to the blood of Abel. Abel was killed. He was murdered by his brother. And the Bible says, God said to Cain, he said, the blood of your brother that you shed has cried out to me. Crying for vengeance. And do you know that is the same thing most Christians, well, let me take that back, many Christians do today. We cry for vengeance. All you need to do is to come to our prayer meetings. That's all you need to know. And we cry for vengeance upon those that offend us. We cry for God's vengeance to come upon those that hate us. And he's saying, no, that is the old tradition. That is the mouth that cannot be touched. No, you have not come to the mouth that cannot be touched. You have come to Jesus. You have come to Mount Zion. You have come to the city of the living God. You are in Christ Jesus now, the heavenly Jerusalem. And in this city, in this space where we have come, we don't cry for vengeance. We cry for salvation. Even when we are being maltreated. Even when we are being molested. We cry for salvation. We don't cry for vengeance. But the church of Christ today. We have not come to Mount Zion. I don't know where some churches are. Okay. I want us to. You know, take this back home and, and think about it. Think about how you feel when people offend you. Think about what you, what you want. If you are given all the power, what you have done to that boss <laughs> that is not letting you get your promotion or that is just bullying you at work or whatever. What is going through your mind? If it is crying for vengeance, God is saying to you, you want to change that. You want to cry to God for grace to change that. So that while you are being persecuted, so that when people are backbiting about you, when your friends are saying bad stuff about you, 
You don't cry for vengeance. Your heart doesn't cry for vengeance. Your heart is crying for salvation. It's hardened because you have seen that they don't know what they are doing. And as a result, you were moved with compassion, just like Jesus was moved with compassion. And you were praying for the same people that are persecuting you. It takes the grace of God to get there. Okay, because it's not palatable for your friends, especially your very close friends, okay, to hurt you, to do stuff against you, you know, behind your back. It's, it's not sweet. It triggers a call for vengeance by default. Okay? The first thing you want to do, you don't want to talk to them. You want to cut them off from your life. That is the blood of Abel. That is not what we have come to. That is not the blood of Jesus. If we have come to the blood of Jesus, the story will be different. Different. It's going to be a cry for salvation. You're going to be so hot. You know, your feeling is going to be so messed up that you will run to your knee and cry to God for that your friend that hurt you. That's the difference. And that's what the book, book of Hebrews is trying to teach us. To know that we have come to Jesus, that must happen. That must happen. If it is not, then tonight you need to pray to God and say, God, help me. Because I have come to you. The blood of Abel should not be running through my veins. The blood of Jesus should be running through my veins. And the blood of Jesus does not cry for vengeance. It cries for salvation. Amen? Amen? And that's, what, that's where I think I'm going to stop tonight. Because I just felt that we need to pray right now. Um, that's the last part, and that's the last thing that he, he wanted us to know in verse 28. I'll just read verse 28. I want to pray on that note. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. We are in a different dispensation. As you have listened to all the series of the teachings, as pastor has been teaching, you can see the comparison between the dispensation of Moses, okay, the old covenant era, and the new covenant, the covenant that they had versus the covenant in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, that's what the comparison is. And so, in the covenants of old, it is vengeance. In the new covenant, it is salvation. Okay? And God wants us to begin to operate in the New Testament. You cannot be going back and forth. Okay? You can't come to a prayer meeting and say, God, kill them. God, kill them. God, kill them. And at the same time, you are asking God for blessing. For ble it's not going to work. You are dangling between two covenants. You're either in the new covenant where you cry for salvation or you're in the old covenant where you cry for vengeance. And these are the things that God is taking us through in the book of Hebrews. That we have to make, we have to make a decision. We are at the point where we have to make a decision. Are you of the old covenant or are you of the new covenant? If you have come to Jesus, then operate in the new covenant. Operate like Jesus. He never cried for, for vengeance. He never cried for his enemy to die. No. 
he was going to Jerusalem and he, he asked that his disciples should go before him, that a man should welcome him to his house. And the man refused to welcome him. And James and John, his disciples, says, should we call fire from heaven to consume them? Because they refused to accept Jesus into their, into their home. James and John, his disciples, they asked Jesus, should we call fire from heaven to consume them? They are still in the old covenant, crying for vengeance. And Jesus said to them, you do not know the spirit that is in you. I don't cry for vengeance. I cry for salvation. How will I call fire to consume those I have come to save? And today, I don't understand. We want to kill those that Jesus has come to save. We want to call fire from heaven to consume them because they hurt us. Jesus is saying, no. You have not come to that kind of mountain. You have come to Mount Zion. You have come to Jesus. Your, your language must change. Your culture must change. Okay? The way you operate must change. Amen? And I, I'm just going to, we're going to pray with the last scripture. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Amen? I just want you to bow your head and talk to God and pray this evening. Where are you? Still in the old covenant or in the new covenant? You need to find yourself. You need to figure out where you are. Okay? If your heart is still crying for vengeance, God wants you to cry to him to ask for grace. He wants you to say, Lord, give me grace. I don't want to cry for vengeance. I am not in the old covenant. I am in you. I am in Christ Jesus. And therefore, salvation should be my pursuit. Change my heart. Give me the grace so I can live peaceably with all men. Give me the grace so I can pray with them that persecute me. Give me the grace so that I will have compassion on those that hurt me because your blood runs through my vein. I have come to Mount Zion. I have come to you, Lord Jesus. Let me not go back the same way. Let me not continue this way. Let my life be transformed wherein I can live and say, Great peace have they that love thy law, for nothing shall offend them. I don't want to get offended over every little thing. I don't want to get offended. I don't want to cry for vengeance. I want to operate in the new covenant because I am in you and you are in me. Help me. Give me the grace as I live with my wife, as I live with my husband, as, as I live with my friends, my colleagues at work, as I live with people, uh, uh, my brethren at the church, as I live with people in my family. Give me the grace. Give me the grace to love them. Give me the grace to be at peace with them, even when they persecute me. Give me the grace to pray for them. Give me the grace to operate just like you did. And let your name be glorified. We thank you, Lord Jesus, because we believe in your word. And we believe in the power in your word. That every man here today, they have come unto you. They have come unto Mount Zion. They have come unto, unto the church of the new born. Lord, we ask today, let it reflect in, our, in the way we live. Let it manifest in the way we talk. Let it manifest in the way we relate in our relationships. 
Lord, we want to be yours forever. And we have given ourselves unto you. We have come unto you, accepted you as our Lord and Savior. We ask, Almighty God, through us, let your salvation reach out unto the ends of the earth. Through us, let your salvation reach unto our family. Through us, let your salvation reach unto the people around us. Even as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.